behind the whistle. This could be a career path. Never in my wildest dreams, if I would look back, the first game I did, picked up the whistle doing an under-12s game, I never would have thought I'd go to an Olympics game. So don't let rejection define you. Welcome to episode number four of Behind the Whistle, the weekly podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We'll provide insights into why these officials do what they do and will be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives, ensuring that they stay involved in the sports that they are passionate about. Our guest for this episode is FIFA assistant referee George Lacrindus. George has been selected to the FIFA panel of international referees since 2016, having recently been chosen to be an assistant referee at the Tokyo Olympic Games, where he was part of the team that officiated the gold medal match. I started off by asking George how he got into officiating. We'll start from the top, I guess. Um, yeah, I just I used to play football, soccer when I was oh, 15, 14, 16, around that, that, those ages, and um, my old man just said to me, look, you're no good, so uh, why don't you decide to go down a different path and try and make some pocket money out of refereeing some football, so um, he'd heard through some friends that you could make some money through that, and I said, oh, well, why not, give it a crack, um, did the course, which is surprisingly easy, um, considering the laws are so intricate, um, but yeah, got through it pretty well, flying colours, and then just uh, hit the whistle straight away. So, yeah, a 15, 16-year-old making a little bit of extra pocket money on the change would have been handy. Yeah, well, I was um, doing two or three under-12 games on a Sunday morning, be home before midday, and my mates would be working, you know, almost a full week at McDonald's to make the same amount of money. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was pretty, yeah, it was pretty good funds-wise. How uh, did you find starting out that young and, you know, dealing with the... Um, Look, it wasn't too bad. I had a couple of other mates that were doing it with me as well. So they um, we sort of bounced ideas off each other. And, and as a whole, everyone was pretty good. Um, you got the odd parent that would, you know, give you a bit of grief. Um, but I had really good support from uh, a lot of people around me, which was fantastic. And uh, just, yeah, it was easy to enjoy. And um, at no point did I ever feel like, you know, this isn't for me sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess how did you then progress in your career? What did what did you get up to? Yeah, it was um, it's almost like it's been a bit of a bumpy career. Um, lots of ups, lots of downs. Um, but from the start, from doing junior games, you just you know accepted games every week, and then you'd have some guys come out and watch you every now and then, see if you've got any potential and. Uh, luckily enough, they deemed that I had a little bit of potential, so they you know, kept pushing me to higher levels of juniors and then on to seniors. Uh, probably when I was around 17 or so, I probably did my first junior game, uh, sorry, senior game, and um, yeah, from there, it's just you've got to climb through the ranks and um, you get inspected every now and then, and if you perform while you've been inspected um, and get identified as someone with potential, you get pushed up through the ranks quite quickly. I guess it'd be interesting to know how do they identify you? You know, what sort of do you know what sort of skills that you you had that they were looking for, or was it <laughs> total surprise? I'm not too sure why they said oh, I'd be a good fit as a referee, but um, I think more just how you manage a game and manage the spectacle of the match um, and keep everyone happy um, would probably be the main thing that they look at. But also, of course, your your knowledge, your um, just technical ability. 
a lot of it is also how you look on the field fitness wise um, and just the, your physique as well so um, I mean, a lot of lots of things come into play when you for referees and um, they'd be same in in most other sports as well I would have thought so at what point I guess did you start doing um, higher levels than your seniors so how long were you doing your seniors before you, I guess the next stage up in your career I would say that um, I probably got to about 2021 when I so probably done three or four years of senior football uh, mostly as assistant referee but then sort of slightly getting into the as the main referee um, yeah probably at that point I started thinking I, you know I really like this and I had a lot of uh, senior role models that I saw that they were going to confederation cups and world cups and I was like well this is this could be a career path so I got through to the national, um, into the national talent pool, uh, which sent me up to the national competition, national youth competition in 2005 now, four. So, yeah. It's great, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. And you, and, you, and you meet all these young up-and-coming refs and they're like exactly like you, like just super keen. And you're like, well, this is my competition for the next, you know, five, ten years. But if I want to go somewhere, if I want to – be like my idols, I guess, at the time. So, yeah, it's pretty much how it sort of progressed from there. Sort of progressed and then eventually got to you to Tokyo, are you? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty big jump from there. Cause, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that, was, that was doing youth football. And I sort of, at that time, um, I was on the National Youth League and I, it, it was just – it was a bit up and down. I got overlooked for other people that um, sort of passed me and I was like, oh, why are these guys getting spots ahead of me? And, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm attending every meeting and all this kind of stuff, training all the time. Um, my laws of the game knowledge was better than anyone else's. And you sort of like start questioning why am I, am I doing this? And um, I was lucky enough to get the National Youth League Grand Final and then then got promoted to the A-League. Um, from there on the, in the A-League, I did maybe four or five seasons, and again, it was the same sort of thing. You're up and down. You're getting finals one year, getting told you might be dropped the next year. Um, and it's just like, what's going on? How am I going to you know, stay, stay at the top or go to the top? And um, 2016, I was lucky enough to get promoted to FIFA, which is sort of the pinnacle for a referee or assistant referee. Um, in football, they, that means you're accredited by FIFA, so you can do international matches. Um, so yeah, from there it was almost like I was the bottom of the class of FIFA. There was nine assistants in Australia, and um, yeah, somehow I don't even know how. It's a good question. I'm yeah, <laughs> got to go to the Olympics last year, and it's sort of a few people fell in front of me, couldn't couldn't attend, and got injured, and this and that. And yeah, I was just super lucky to to attend, and never in my wildest dreams, if I look back, the first game I did picked up the whistle doing an under-12s game, I would never would have thought I'd go to an Olympics game sort of thing. So how did you deal with, uh, you know, the, the ups and downs of the officiating um, yeah, career? Yeah, you know? when, I, when I speak to young guys now, or younger guys, I'm not that old yet, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's my main, my main thing I'll tell them is if you get overlooked for, for an appointment by some, for someone else, just try not to get too down because at the end of the day, you have to eat a lot of dirt to get to where I am. And I, I, I know from experience how many lows there have been. And, and and lows can be as much as not getting a game one week and and or they can be not getting a FIFA badge overlooked by someone else for a FIFA badge, things things like that. Um, 
it's just uh, you have to not take it too personally. And at the end of the day, it defines you as a person, how you react to the downs as much as how you react to your, you know, when you're going well. So obviously through your career, you're not officiating full-time, so you are obviously got a working life outside of that. What do you do yeah. as a, for a working life? So I was an en- oh, well, studied engineering um, and I worked for Boeing, um, which make the airplanes and here in Melbourne. Uh, I worked there for about a good nearly 10 years. Um, when I got to that FIFA uh, level, uh, it was sort of hard to balance a really hard, a tough full-time job at Boeing. So I decided I might change things up and maybe do just a part-time work here and there. Um, but now I'm lucky enough to have found a full-time job um, working in supplier management with a, with actually a mate of mine who was an ex-referee as well that we grew up with. So it's um, pretty funny how we've come around and he sort of lives his uh, refereeing dreams vicariously through me. So um, <laughs> it's really good. I'll never get an appointment for, for somewhere to go overseas. He'll be like, yep, don't even tell me, just take it. Um, and we'll work from there kind of thing. So it's, um, yeah, really cool. I was going to say that it would definitely help having a an employer that supports you through that career. Yeah. I'd imagine you'd be at home. You know, if you've got a, a match that's overseas, you'd be gone for a you know, decent, it's not like a weekend flying visit. That's a decent period of time. Yeah, it's absolutely probably the most important thing at the moment for me is having a really supportive um, work life and football balance. Um, it's quite difficult. But, you know, it's, um, yeah, he's really good like that, um, helping me out there. And, um, yeah, honestly, I don't think um, any many other managers would, would be uh, happy with being away three months of 2000, what are we, 2021, three yeah. months away pretty much. So, um, yeah, it's been pretty full on. So how was those three, you know, obviously whatever, you know, the selection period, um, when did you know you were going to Tokyo? So um, it's pretty funny story i guess um i was actually over in bangkok for the asian champions league group stages and um at the time so the the olympic trio that were going to go uh from australia they were had already been selected there was chris is the referee and his two assistants but uh, when i was over in bangkok uh, which is about a month before the olympics um i got a phone call saying oh look one of the assistants has got injured um we need someone to fill in so uh, I was kind of like, oh, this is quite, <laughs> um, yeah, going to be uh, quite exciting, I think. So, yeah, it was um really surreal day. That day, we're getting that phone call saying, you know, going to an Olympic Games. Um, but, yeah, just completely unexpected. And just from there, I didn't even know what I had to do. It was just there were so many things I had to go through, paperwork, all that stuff, to actually get over there. And to the point where I was at the airport to fly over to Japan and I didn't even know if I was going to board the plane because I didn't have my pass. So to, oh. get, so to get into Japan for the Olympics, you had to have your pass. That was your part. That was your visa was the Olympics pass. So I was chasing up a TNT driver uh, who didn't speak any English and I was on the phone to him and I was yelling and screaming and saying, I need you, need you to be here. I need you to be at the airport. And um, like two and a half hours before the flight, I, I met him and, he asked for a tip, and I was like, yeah, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> Take my whole wallet. Okay, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, yeah, it was just really – that was a relief to get on the plane at the end of the day, and I was like, oh, a lot of stress, but so much excitement. I, I guess it would be like the stress of a, you know, a, a high, passionate game that, 
lead up to the to the game anticipation and then obviously once you've got your pass and you got through the gates it's then a relief to go all right now I'm, I'm off on this you know fantastic opportunity and journey that i've got yeah absolutely i was just um i still still i don't think it's sunk in yet what is it three four months ago now maybe more <laughs> it still hasn't sunk in so um one day it will one day i'll be able to tell people oh you know it was amazing but right now it's like well yeah it happened had <laughs> <So. laughs> you know so obviously the flight over and then, you know, we hear about all the coaches and the players. They had to, you know, some of them quarantined, some of them went into different parts. How, what was it for, for an official? What did you guys have to go through over there? Yeah, it pretty much exactly the same as everyone else. I had to get two uh, COVID PCR tests before flying out, um, which is nothing new because we've been doing them forever um, for football. Um, and then when we got there, it was every day a rapid antigen test. So spitting in a tube and giving it to them. But um, in terms of quarantine, we couldn't really leave the hotel grounds, but we could mingle around the hotel, which is okay. Because when I was in Bangkok, I literally wasn't allowed to leave the hotel room apart from matches and training, which is just insane. It was one of the hardest trips I've had. So how long was Bangkok? How long was the Bangkok trip? uh nearly four weeks yeah so you're away for four weeks for that and then you yeah. came back for what a couple of months before you didn't come back straight from bangkok oh to tokyo yeah so then yeah. obviously you're in tokyo what, for then another two months or something on top no uh, it was only about a month but okay. yeah it was um overall yeah a couple of months away yes. plus a two weeks quarantine on the way back so it was a good 10 weeks away from work so <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a good you call it a good working holiday then <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, it was um, an absolutely crazy time of our lives um, this last year, and with with COVID and all the protocols around it, it's just it's been really tough for everyone. So, so obviously, outside of the Asian game, um, Cup games in Bangkok and Japan and uh, Tokyo, yeah, you, you'd been flying around doing national games, international games throughout the whole COVID period, or. Yeah, well, I don't think we really stopped. I also went to Doha um, last year, so at the end of last year, when COVID just started, I think. I can't even think right now. It's been so long. I don't think that, I, would, no, have, that would have been a decent trip now, as yeah, well, just yeah, gone over so, there. Yeah, COVID was full, in full swing then. And so I went to Qatar, Bangkok, um, also just came back recently from. I was in Dubai with the boys as well. We did a World Cup qualifier and in Jordan and Saudi Arabia. So it really hasn't stopped. Um, so you've seen all of Asia in the last 12 months then pretty much. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the middle <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's been pretty cool. Um, luckily, some places are a lot less strict than we, are, we were here with our restrictions. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been nonstop really has and i'm really grateful for football to be able to sort of allow us to live a bit of a life overseas as well as living a life here here with the um with the a-league and just COVID in general uh, i would have, i would imagine to being a lot of the asian countries english isn't their primary language so being a central referee or do you do predominantly um, assistant referee for those. Assistant referee so, myself, yeah. yeah, yeah, but still have to try and communicate with the players and the benches and the coaches. Um, um, I think a lot of the, the professional clubs do have English speaking people in their in their squads and or in their coaching um, department, and it's pretty easy to communicate with them. Um, 
but yeah, if you're completely lost in in the street somewhere and you don't know what to say, it's it's quite difficult. Um, I haven't picked up that much Asian myself. Not much Japanese, not much Chinese, and um, probably should start learning. I think. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine it would be pretty. You know, it's not like you're you're there for a couple of months so you can learn the the language and the culture. If you're only there for a short period of time, it's a a real yeah. steep learning curve for the culture and the language, you know. You yeah, can... you're in and out pretty much um, most of the time. So in in normal non-COVID times, we'd, we'd do a match overseas and we'd come back straight away. So it'd be a four-day trip, maybe five days you know, with, with jet lag. But, yeah, it's been with COVID and, the, and um, quarantine, there's been a lot longer trips um, and usually wouldn't spend as much time overseas. So... It's, it's good and bad in a way, but, um, you know, you do miss home a lot and, you know, it's hard to juggle work as well. So, as I say, with the extra time for COVID, it certainly helps now that, you know, having the supportive uh, work life that you've got, you know, it certainly makes your travel a lot more um, available to you. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And um, next year is a very big year again. Um, there's going to be lots of travel and, um with the World Cup on at the end of the year, touch wood. You know, if I get lucky, I could be going. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's going to be, again, another super busy year for football. So, you know, with the, with the, I guess, with the World Cup opportunity, do they do – obviously, you get graded on all the games that you do. And there's a – you know, as you said earlier, there's multiple assistant officials in Australia. Do they allocate – like, do, is it just, you know – Teams that qualify get to take, you know, their federation gets to send one crew of officials. Or how do they work out who? Yeah, um, so it's it's basically Chris Beath's our number one referee at the moment, and he's he'll do games in Asia and he'll bring two assistants over with him, um, usually allocated by um, AFC or FIFA. Um, so again, it, it is based on performance. Um, yep. If if you're performing really well, which I which I did luckily at the Olympics and at the other tournaments, you know, you'll get reallocated again as well. Um, but yeah, so the, the performance of the trio especially more than anything is is what counts towards um, World Cup qualification. So if that trio performs really well um, and keeps um, going deep into competitions, so Chris Chris's trio, which I was part of, we did the gold medal match, which was amazing. So um, obviously – they're really highly we're really highly rated by FIFA. So, yeah. Speaking of the gold medal match, I mean, what, what did you do? A two or three qualifying pool matches before that, and then do yeah, they rank had, rank officials during that? We had Mexico versus France in the first match day. Then we didn't have a match for the next two match days, and then we had the quarterfinal of Brazil versus Egypt, which I was like over the moon. I thought, wow, like never expected to even get a quarterfinal. And then you're hanging around, you're getting retained, you're getting retained for the semifinals. No, didn't get a game, but still retained. And you're like, well, there might be a chance for third versus fourth or something. But, um, yeah, we were lucky enough. Um, Pierluigi Colina was doing the appointments. I'm sure most people know who he is in the world of football. And he uh, read out the appointments and said, you know, the, the gold medal match trio is going to be from Australia this time and read our names out. And it was just like, wow, <laughs> how is this happening? You know, Three weeks ago, I was in Bangkok getting ready to go home. And then a um, couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm doing a gold medal match at the Olympics without anything in between. I was like, woof, you know, <laughs> completely surreal, right? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, a major high. And what did you have like a day or two to before the game, or how how yeah, much deployments were two days before? Yeah, so match day minus two, as they call it. So yeah, two days to let it, one day to let it sink in, and then one day to switch on and, and get focused on the game. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. I mean, how was that? Just walking out, knowing walking out to the you know the, the gold medal match. As a, you know, everybody walks There's out. And, so many thoughts going through your head, and when the appointment comes in, you're like, "Oh my god, how am I going to do this?" Like, literally, the whole world is watching. Um, how am I going to go out there and not screw up? And everyone's going to laugh at me, like those negative thoughts. But then you've got the awesome positive thoughts, which is, you know, just how amazing is this? You're going to get to referee Spain versus Brazil. All these players is worth a hundred million dollars each. You know, like. <laughs> You're lining up next to them, and you know Danny Alves has won every trophy in the world. Um, yes, it was. It's it's a feeling that's just it. It's almost impossible to explain. It's completely surreal, and I, I always look back to the times when I was coming through as a as a young kid and looking up to the guys that were going to you know, confederations cups and world cups and all those kinds of things. I was like, I can't ever imagine it what they'd be feeling like, and I still don't know how it feels it's almost like so completely surreal feeling I, i'd imagine you probably be, you know you reflect back on footage of the game or you know in snippets and you're like was i actually there i mean did i, yeah. did, I did i dream it or did i actually yeah. you know, experience the, the the shame was that there was no crowd um yeah. i can only imagine how amazing it would have been having thousands of brazilians and thousands of spanish just cheering for a gold medal um but the the match in itself was probably one of the most intense matches I've ever been involved in, and um, after the match we were just almost passed out in the rooms, just going, "How did we do this? And how have we got it done?" And we, thankfully we did a fantastic job, um, and both teams got the the right result. Well, we didn't affect the result at the end of the day, so yeah, uh, it was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how is you know, to an extent? How's Chris? Is you know, obviously the I would imagine the you know the central referee is the leader of the the crew that you've got. How, you know what what sort of um, personality does he have to help you? You know, obviously encourage you to you know just relax, but still yeah. be in the moment. Probably one of the most professional people I've ever met in my entire life, anywhere in in, in my life. Uh, you know, through work or through football or just in general, um, you'll never meet. Uh, a nicer and more professional bloke in your life. Um, he's always focused and always ready to go, and, and that focus really, really drives into the team. And um, it's something that I've noticed has gotten better and better and better every time we've gone away is um, just his focus and professionalism. And whenever we go out there, it's go time, right? You know, it's um, there's no there's no screwing around. We're out there, we're, we're getting it done. But he's also just... His demeanor is to bring everyone in the team up to his level and to we're just as important as he is, and he'll always tell you that. And even though I tell him, no, you're the boss, um, <laughs> he'll, he'll always say, no, definitely, guys. Everyone, even the fourth official, when we, when we have VAR, he'll always endeavor to bring that those guys in as well as, as equals, which yeah. is, for me, a really, really good personality trait in treating everyone as an equal. Um, and that's how you get the most out of someone to help you. And I guess throughout your, um, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is you're 
obviously an assistant referee, so you're doing the sideline all the time. Sure. Are you um, penciled in at that position all the time, or is there opportunities to go to the middle? Do you aspire to go be in the middle, or are you? Yeah, it's a question like, I get a lot. Um, so I'll do local games in the middle, uh, probably not very well, according to all my colleagues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you do have to choose a pathway um, in general um, but a lot of guys have started as an assistant and moved into the middle so you've got Sean Evans um, who's now probably one of the top two three referees in the country he started off as an assistant and um, Johnny Barrero is another one now who's an A-league referee who started as an assistant um, and in previous generations Ben Williams who went to he was our last World Cup referee he started as an assistant as well so um, definitely can be a pathway to going into the middle but in general you do choose and um, there's just opportunities in both at at different times uh, in both um, being an assistant or being a referee and I saw the opportunity to to um, to to be a really top assistant referee because I knew I had the potential and I knew I was really good at it Um, as a referee, I would, you know, get the job done, but not quite as well as I do as an assistant referee. So you have to be obviously, honest with yourself sometimes, I think. Yeah, and obviously you're a little bit more, whether it's comfortable running up now down the sideline or as opposed to being in the middle. Uh, how do you deal with, you know, I'd imagine being an assistant, yep. sometimes you're on the opposite side to the coaches, so you've got, you know, no one chewing in your ear off, but obviously other times you're right there near the technical area. You know, how do yeah. you deal with coaches and <laughs> They usually put the senior assistant on the bench side, so um, that's usually me. And um, most of the time, they're really good. Most of the time, I'll just say most of the time. But sometimes, <laughs> you, you look. Last Friday night, for example, I had to disallow a goal for offside to Brisbane, and they lost two one. And of course, any normal person, if it was me, if it was you, you'd you'd be upset because you feel like it's been taken away from you, whether it's correct or not. Um, you know. I'm a, I'm a supporter of footy as well and other sports. And if my team um, has a goal disallowed or a decision overturned for some reason, I'll get upset. Um, and you have to understand that people do get upset and it's not really personal. Um, as long as it's not abusive, um, it's usually – the banter is usually quite good with most of the benches, especially in the A-League. They're quite good. So, I mean, with – Having done the, how long have you been doing the A League now for? You know, uh, I think this is my tenth or eleventh season. I might have lost count. So you, you'd get to know the coaches, I guess, on the sidelines. So you develop a bit of a rapport with them, um, and yeah. be able to switch between banter and, you know, obviously call it professionalism. Um, yeah. You know, big decisions and interactions. How do you, yeah. I guess, learn those skills, or is that experience? Is that Definitely you know, experience? Um, I put your foot in it plenty of times. Yeah, I've been a hothead in the past and bit back at comments and um, it's just not worth it. It really isn't. You, you can never win. doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter how quick-witted you are. You'll never win because um, at the end of the day, someone will report you or something and you just have to be professional, as professional as you can. And that's what I'm trying to, in my older age, trying to um, pass on to the younger guys is that, you know, just be professional Obviously, have good banter with them and be friendly. But when when at times when things are getting thick, you need to start being professional and focus, and um, that's the most important thing. And yeah, you know, I guess do you throughout your career, um, what sort of uh, skills, skills or development courses or things do you do throughout? I guess to help you deal with those 
situations? Do you have mentors that helped you out? Or yeah, you just... I think that's that's the main thing is having the right um, group of people around you to help you and to mentor you, and not having too many people. But for me, I have my close group of friends. I'll have um, three or four guys that will, I'll bounce ideas off, um, and we just bounce ideas off each other mainly. But then you'll you might have one or two. Um, separate mentors that you can that might not be involved anymore but you sort of you ask them how did you deal with this in your time and and you you, you take all all you can if you have to be a sponge you have to um pretty much suck out everything you can because you, you only learn from experience you don't learn from a book you don't learn from clips on the tv you don't learn from just watching football you only learn from being out there and from actually feeling and experiencing um those kind of you know incidents and you know so you can learn from other people but once it happens to you that's when you learn the most and uh, that's more of i guess a reality check or you know call it those sort of um situations is you know you say something and you you know that as soon as it comes out of your mouth you're like yeah i probably shouldn't have said that and like the word hasn't even finished so i'd imagine yeah. you probably felt gone through some of those especially you know in a younger refereeing career um, yeah uh, absolutely and i i've had run-ins with coaches where I've just been a bit of a smart ass. Um, pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> and it just always comes back to bite you. There's no point. Um, just be be friendly and be professional. That's all you can do. Because yeah, the one time you do say something, you'll get in trouble. And there's no, there, we have no real, no one to defend us really out there on yeah. the pitch. It's just us. <laughs> uh, which, you know, to an extent, I guess there is some. Um, when you're dealing with the people whose English isn't the first language, um, there's a lot of things that can get misinterpreted or misrepresented when you're trying to communicate to them. So you've got to make sure, obviously, yeah. in those tense situations, it's clear. Otherwise, you know, it could be you know, misconstrued. It's definitely um, a different way of refereeing when you're here with the Aussies uh, than when you are overseas. Uh, you just have to be literally like a like a school teacher, just talking to children, because you can't you, you can't have that banter and you can't have that um, you know the kind of man management you would have with someone that speaks your language fluently. It's just a completely different um, way of refereeing, and I've noticed that the really good and really clever referees can adapt between going to Asia and coming back to Australia. Um, some some do it a lot better than others, and. Yeah, I would imagine that a lot of it would be body language when you're yep. communicating with those uh, and obviously presenting the right body language um, when you're communicating to them. Yeah, strong body language and, um, yeah, exactly that. When you're when you're out there selling that decision, 99% of it will be body language. If you can't, if you can't sell it with your voice, you have to be able to sell it with your body language and the, your movements and the way also your, your facial exaggerations as well um these kinds of things all put together that's the way you get away with it overseas so you got to turn into a you got to take on a, an acting career as well i guess yeah absolutely yeah i think the main thing acting wise is to not get yourself down or not show that you're upset at something and not get flustered because the minute the tv camera pans to you and it shows you going oh about something you know like that's it's straight away you're not selling that decision or if you've got to be 100 percent confident in your, in your own decision and 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 portray that at the whole at, at all times and you know to an extent too with when you're when you're officiating if you know that you've made a uh, the wrong decision 
it's not like a player can sit there and you can see them the head drop or the shoulders droop and go, oh, yeah, I've you know, I've mucked that up as an official. Yeah. You might go, hey, oop, made the wrong decision, but you know what? I've got to stay strong because then they'll jump on that, players and, and coaches. With, um, the introduction of VAR is, has been good and bad for referees. Um, and if you're the kind of person that can't take that, making the wrong decision on board, um, if, if it really gets to you, you're going to really struggle with VAR when um, after the first minute you've you've given an offside and then the VAR overturns it and says it wasn't offside. You've got, you know, 89 more minutes to go and you, you're still thinking about that first decision. It's, it's paramount that you do try and let the last decision go and focus on the next decision and being in there and in the moment. And I think that's really, really important for all referees is literally being in there and being in the moment and forgetting the last minute, not thinking about the next minute and literally thinking about that minute you're in right now. And then obviously that comes into your post-game review of, you know, those those decisions, you know, where you're in the right position, where you're looking at the right spot. Was it something, is it just an angle? Because, you know, with three people and looking at, the field there's not a huge amount of different angles of things i mean yes there is a quite a bit but it's quite easy for players to block reviews at times i'd imagine yeah correct it's um there's so many times when you've come off the field and you've gone did we miss that and you get like a thousand text messages after the game going oh you guys missed a red card and it's like well what i didn't see it he didn't see it and the other guy didn't see it the fourth official didn't see it so how did we miss it so it's it, you're right it's it's a lot of luck at times um being in that right position is a skill, but if you just get caught out for half a second, that's just bad luck sometimes. So um, get blindsided, somebody steps in your way, um, it can happen. And, yeah, that's some can be lucky at <laughs> times. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at the things like corner kicks. You've yep. got one assistant referee on the, si- on the side and you've got one central referee looking at, up to what 15 20 people sort of around the box and the ball moves pretty quickly so you know you're trying to transition and you have your sight from various aspects is um yeah the really good referees these days they um they'll delegate so there yes there's one assistant there and as as a um the referee but there's also the fourth official and the far side assistant so you'll delegate roles and players between all four and the referee won't even be looking at the ball. He'll be just looking at those players in the box. And, you know, the assistant referee will count him in and say, look, the ball's been kicked now. And then you sort of you pinpoint the targets and you can look at it. So the really smart referees will be able to pinpoint where the ball's going to drop and then you've got to, you know, yeah, pick the decision from there. So obviously, you know, mentioned, talking about that with your fourth official, there's a lot of constant communication between your official, the, the yeah. crew. We're really lucky to have really good communication gear these days uh, as opposed to what we had in the past. Um, now it's just it's almost seamless, the comms that we use, and the whole game we're just talking. Most of the time it's rubbish, but um, <laughs> when, it's, when it's needed, it's really important that we do um, communicate. And you'll, you'll see that it, it, we make it look so seamless that um, the referee is given a yellow card without anyone thinking that anyone else had input, but two or three of us might have, said to him yellow card for this or yellow card for late tackle or something like that so yeah because i mean obviously in the past you'd look at it and you'd see the referee run out to the assistant or the assistant come in to the referee to clarify yeah. obviously now with the communication there's no requirements to that which yeah I don't it, think makes it, it makes it look like the central referees making all the decisions but obviously yeah. you know it's a big team 
takes the credit for everything that bloke but, uh, <laughs> no, but he, he, he takes the fall for anything too so yeah, that's true that's also true we do screw up sometimes and it's his <laughs> fault <laughs> but no um yeah it's definitely um the comms have just made it the the refs that are good at using the comms and know how to use them they they make for absolutely fantastic team so, i mean it, it's you know a second aspect where technology um benefits you know yes yeah, obviously, comms for your referees, your VR, whether you know whether you're for it or against it. There's you know there's um, plenty of things where you know it, it provides assistance to referees. Sure. So it's really changed the game, the communication system for me. Um, and it, you get to the point where players are yelling at you for not flagging for a foul that's five meters from you. I'm like, oh, mate, I told him the foul was there. That's why he blew the foul. So why are you yelling at me, sort of thing? So <laughs> um, yeah, it, it for me, it's it's. The best thing that we've had come in is the the cons. Um, I don't know if it, it'd be good to go out to the public. Um, there's been a few things that have gone out to the public, and it's it's hard to have it on live TV because you know it sort of might drown out what other people are saying. But yeah, one day that they they might end up recording a lot of this stuff, and it'd be really good watching. Do you do you use any any of those? I guess recordings for trainings, or do you review? Yeah. All of it gets – so we have the VAR recording and we'll use that for our clips and for our post-match analysis. So so, so yeah. you'll walk through – you'll talk you'll talk through what you're talking about during the games, the communications in regards to obviously how you see fouls, how you see various things. Yeah, correct. That. If, if, we've, if we've missed something, um, we'll say, well, how could we have done that better? Um, you know, how could our comms have been better? Um, now with VAR, there's lots of protocol around the communication. So say for – for me, as an assistant for an offside that leads up to a goal, I've got to delay, say delay, 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 which which triggers the referee to know that, yes, there's an offside, but we're delaying it because there's a chance that the player will score a goal. And once he does score or misses, then I will flag, and then um, it, it goes up to the, to the VAR, and they yeah. can decide whether or not um, it's it's a right or wrong decision. So it gives the game a chance. Um, yeah. Which is, I guess, a, a different philosophy to, you know, say what we've all grown up with. It was, you know, as soon as they're offside, they're offside. Then they've sort of yeah. changed it to a little bit. To, as soon as you're offside and in, the, you know, offside position and you've got advantage, now it's sort of let it play to see whether they, you know, whatever happens to then have VAR. To yeah, come some people happen. really hate it. I know a lot of the pundits hate it, but I think it makes for better football because you do you don't have those chances disallowed and it also you know stops us from getting in trouble for making a bad mistake i think and, and you know it allows the game to flow a little bit more too because you allow that extra couple of you know seconds and the ball later yeah. go go in the net or go out for a corner or a goal kick and VR has got some time as part of the normal flow to review yeah. before they, they need to stop it so um yeah and i think the only down or the main downside is that once a goal is scored there's always that check which might take 30 seconds or a minute and then the players are waiting around is it going to get overturned is it been a foul in the lead up or something so that's the bit that's been taken away a little bit that that celebration but you know i think it's it's a bit of a trade-off for having the fair decision at the end of the day yeah yeah cool um so obviously we've talked a bit about how technology has improved officiating is there any other you know avenues or anything you think we can do to help improve officiating or improve people becoming officials 
Well, for me, in terms of the whole spectacle, goal line technology is is the number one thing for me in terms of what they do in the English Premier League. That costs a lot of money, but it's just amazing how they can pinpoint the exact point where the ball is and if it's in or out. That's just, it's just amazing that for top level football, goal line technology is number one for me. I think that's one of the best things they've brought in. Um, they're talking about bringing in. Um, uh, an electronic offside as well, which which will probably will be interesting to see how it works because it's be very difficult um, to with with the intricacies around offside. It'll be very very difficult to automate it. But because yeah, because I would have thought that'd be interesting because you might have an arm or a leg forward. How are you going to be able to yeah. have sensors all the way along the body? I mean, that would or be- even the player that's offside is not interfering with play or whether it's been played by an attacker or a defender, these kind of things. Um, there's lots, so much around the offside rule. It's one of the longest rules in the in the book. and It's a headache for all of us assistants. But it'll be interesting to see if um, that can be brought in or if it will be brought in in the, in the near future. Yeah, because you'd imagine that you'd have to bring in a lot of call it artificial intelligence in line with it to work out, yeah, as you say, where the balls come from, who it's bounced off, who played it yeah. last, which direction. Which, yeah, correct. You know, to... You know, you think through technology trying to do that it is just, yeah. You know, if they can get to technology to do that, that's amazing. But at the yeah. moment, you know, as a human, we can easily look at that and go, yep, that's this, that, and the other. But to de- get it in technology be... Well, we were talking about only a few years ago how the video assistant referee was never going to be a thing. How could it possibly be a thing? Um, and now it's in. It's in at all most top leagues in the world, and they're even bringing it into the poorer countries now as a VAR light, which is you know, a few less cameras and less operators. But um, I think that's the way of the future moving forward. Everyone will have VAR. Even the local leagues will have some form of, of VAR. So um, it's, yeah, technology is taking over slowly. And, yeah, I don't think there's any way to stop it. <laughs> I mean, you'll have people on the sideline with their iPhones and you know, cameras yeah. doing, oh, that's, that's our VAR there, so. Yeah, correct. Did you see this? I've got it on my phone, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine you probably, you know, to an extent, you probably have some park people, you know, playing park soccer when you're refereeing and they go, oh, bring out the phone and, you know, the VAR comments or yeah. know, snipe the mark. So. It's, um, it's a good running joke sometimes, the local leagues. It's, um, it's good fun. I mean, I, I officiate our, our local competition and it's always, you know, you score a goal or an offside and everyone always turns around and gives you uh, VAR and you can just, it's a running joke as you say, but yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. at least it livens the game up and keeps, you know, the, the rapport between the officials and the players um, yeah, going well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so with your, um, with your tournaments like the, the Olympics of Tokyo and the Asian Cup, were you... Um, there with the whole pool of officials. So were you able to socialise with the officials from the other countries there or just within? So in Bangkok, obviously, because of the restrictions they had over there, which was super, super strict, um, we couldn't really socialise at all. Um, Obviously, you'd see them on the training park and in class, so you'd be in a pool of, like I said, with a pool of 20, 30 other referees from different countries. Um, luckily at the Olympics, we were allowed to socialise as much as we wanted. We can you know, go around to each other's rooms, we'd have lunch together, you know, you could walk back and forth the training track. Um, so we, you got to meet everyone and you got people from, you know, Portugal, from Brazil, you know, all these different parts of the world. And it's, um, it's crazy how 
um, at the end of the day, we're all just referees um, and we all speak the same language, which is refereeing. So it's crazy. <laughs> It would be just an experience to talk to them with their culture. Obviously, cultures around the world are completely different to what we've got here in Australia, and some of them are a lot more passionate about their football than you know some other countries. So, being able to talk to and experience that, their passion would be, you know, yeah, be definitely an experience yeah. in itself. Stories of different um, matches you've done and, and what it's like in in other countries, and how many people go to the stadium. Uh, it's it's really, really amazing how how football sort of transcends continents and stuff. It's great. And, uh, you know, I guess for people coming up through the ranks or people looking at starting to become an official, you know, that's probably, you know, an opportunity to experience all of that as part of your career, you know, as you work through the, the pathways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it's one thing I try and tell everyone is that there's always an opportunity to go somewhere with football and refer- refereeing. So, um, you know, if you if you're interested to go for it, go for it. And you know, if you're if you're given the opportunity, take it with all you know everything you've got. Because I mean, obviously, you experienced Tokyo because somebody unfortunately was you know injured. But yeah. if you you know if you said no or something else, you wouldn't have gone through had that you know that fantastic journey over there. Absolutely, and, and and the other thing is that you know, luck does happen, but you make your own luck happen. And for me, I I look back and I, yes, I was super lucky, and I was it was amazing that I did get to go to the the Olympics, and it was you know, lastminute.com. But um, if I hadn't have done all the stuff I'd done in the lead up, they wouldn't have selected me. You know, I was in it. I was in Uzbekistan a couple of years ago on a drip in, in my room because I'd got ridiculous food poisoning and I'd been travelling by myself over there on some under-23s qualifiers match. And, you know, if I hadn't accepted that trip, they probably wouldn't have sent me to Bangkok. And then if I hadn't have done well in Bangkok, they might not have called me up for the Olympics. I might have called someone else up. So you, at the end of the day, you, you put yourself in the position to be selected and um, you do all the right things and luck will come your way. And, it, you know, it's all your preparation, whether it's game day preparation or whether it's preparation now of, you know, doing your – are you in – you're A-League at the moment, so you're in – Yeah, yeah. First match was last weekend. I've got another match this weekend coming up. Excellent. So, yeah, obviously your preparation for that, making sure that, you know, your nutrition and all your pre-season stuff's all in line so you can get through the season and, and actually put in a, you know, a good performance at each game. Well, I think most athletes they have their peaks and their troughs in terms of where they're what they're aiming for to be peaking at. Uh, with refereeing for us with the A League and and international stuff, it all just happens all throughout the year. So there's no peaking and there's no troughing. You have to be fit and have to be ready to go, or else you you know you will get injured and then you're out for a few months. Which, to an extent, is good because then you don't have the the time off period to get, you know, to lose your fitness or lose any of those sort of um, attentions to detail because you're constantly having to keep that level all year round. For sure, yeah, you definitely have to do that. And um, match fitness is really, really different to just being fit in general. And uh, I found that out on the on the weekend. Uh, I was blowing after the first fifteen minutes, but um, you know, it's it's. Definitely, being able to do matches week in week out definitely is is a different kind of fitness. To an extent, to that, I'd also imagine that at some point it might be mentally tiring doing 
not having a break through the season, through the year, and going yeah, from one to the other. Yeah. I know a lot of guys do like to take time off, maybe take a month off at some point, and and refresh the batteries a little bit. Um, for for me, it's um, I don't mentally get drained really. I maybe I'll take some time off local stuff, but for me, I, I enjoy it so much that it's not really something that I feel like I need a mental break from. But yeah, I mean, everybody's different. Excellent. And yeah, you know, just one final question. What sort of advice would you give to somebody who's contemplating becoming a, an official or who's started out in their journey or maybe going through a, a, a patch where they're considering whether to continue or not? What would you, yep. what would you yep. provide? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to have a thick skin and you have to be able to take rejection really well. That's my two things that I tell <clears throat> young guys is that you have to take the rejection and don't let rejection define you because at the end of the day, if you keep pushing through the rejection, you will get your reward and you will one day, you know, get get your lucky moment like I did. So just keep pushing through and pushing hard. And if you enjoy it, if you're not enjoying it, probably not the right thing for you. But if you're enjoying it and if you do get a bit of rejection here and there, it's, it's normal. You're not going to have a completely perfect ascension to the top. There's going to be peaks and troughs. So just... Make sure you stick by it, stay strong. And those peaks and troughs actually help you develop as a person, as an official, which makes the the ultimate tro- uh, ultimate peak, you know, definitely worth you know worthwhile and being exactly. absolutely. I mean, like when you do taste success, if you keep tasting success over and over and over and over, for me, I feel like you know it means a lot less. But when you do, when you have had that rejection, and you you know you get those troughs and you do hit that peak you, you, you feel a lot more out of it you know you know you've worked hard you know you've done all the stuff that you can do to to, be, to get there so um yeah it's never going to be a perfect ascension so just make sure you eat that dirt every now and then you'll have to <laughs> figuratively not literally because you could be absolutely could be on the blooper reels <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> excellent um you know, I just want to say thanks, George, for coming on. You know, I've definitely loved hearing about your your journey and you know the the stuff you went through for to get to the Olympics is you know stories that'll last you a lifetime. And those ones turn into urban legends. You know, I was at the airport instead of having, having two and a half hours, it'll turn down to now. I only had five minutes before I had to get them on the plane and <laughs> those sort of things. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I just want to say, hey, look, I appreciate. Thanks for coming on, um, telling your story, and you know, all the best for you know, the the rest of the A League season. And hopefully, we'll see you in um, where are they next year in the World Cup? Um, yeah, Qatar. So, yeah, excellent. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you so all much. Right. George has given us plenty of tips and reminders that we can apply to our lives in and out of the officiating arena. One of those is to ensure that your preparation is always on point so that you're able to make the most of all opportunities that come your way. Due to the short notice about the opportunity to go to Tokyo, George relied on all the preparation he'd done beforehand to prepare for that opportunity. This is a great reminder for all of us that doing the work and putting in the preparation will allow you to take opportunities as they present it to you. If you're interested in starting your own journey, putting in the preparation to possibly one day having an opportunity that you wouldn't normally expect, check out the directory on our website, sportscollaboration.com where you'll be able to find contact details for associations so that you can start your officiating journey. I'll leave you with this final encouragement from George. Don't let rejection define you because at the end of the day, 
if you keep pushing through the rejection, you will get your reward and you will one day, you know, get get your lucky moment like I did.